I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Turn up your volume. volume. Because you're about to listen to The Sick Podcast. The Sick Podcast. With Tony Maradero. 55 seconds left in the penalty, a minute and 27 seconds left in regulation time. Boston 4, Montreal 3. Lafleur coming out rather gingerly on the right side. He gives it into Lemaire, back to Lafleur. Oh! The sickest Montreal Canadiens podcast. <laughs> You're in the ball! Sports entertainment like no other. Rejoint, on lui fait perdre la rondelle une passe devant. Et c'est la You found the dogs! John, you found the dogs! He found the dogs! And all together they worked the young team to the top. And now a 24th Stanley Cup banner will hang from the rafters of the famous forum in Montreal. The Canadians win the Stanley Cup. Brought to you by Energy Transportation Group. Driven to be different. La Vida TV. Embrace your true nature. And Playground. Your premier gaming destination. It's going to be sick. Marinero on this Friday, March 1st. You're probably used to seeing Matt O'Han in on Fridays, but Matt couldn't make it tonight, nor can he make it next Friday. As a matter of fact, he gave me a heads up a couple of days ago. So I am in tonight, and I will be in next week on Friday as well. I am here. There's no shortage of things to talk about, and there are no shortage of partners and sponsors to talk about and acknowledge either. So let me get to it right away. First of all, our partner and sponsor, Energy Transportation Group. We love these guys, named by the Financial Times as one of America's fastest growing companies in 2023 and have been recognized by the Globe and Mail as a top growing Canadian company for two years in a row. They work with some of the biggest Fortune 500 companies providing end-to-end logistics services join a winning team and check out energy's career page for available opportunities also brought to you in part by the guys behind me you see that fridge yes that fridge is stacked with a lot of labita tb brewed in quebec and a winner of a dozen international awards labita tb offers quality microbrewery beers made with premium ingredients for everyone's taste labita tb embrace your true nature also brought to you in part by accent insurance solutions you know that all insurance isn't created equal and you know where to find the right solution for you Accent Insurance. Accent doesn't sell insurance. They shop insurance for you to find the right product right on the money. Whatever your insurance needs, home, automobile, or business, call the Accent team today at 514-363-3636 and get the right solution at the right price. Visit their website at accentassurance.com. Also, top of the evening to y'all, this episode is brought to you by the St. Patrick's Day Shamrock Shavers. That's right. Manscaped. This year, don't just chase rainbows. Make your own pot of gold and groom your little leprechaun with the leaders in below-the-kilt care. Say goodbye to your Clover Forest. I like that one. With Manscapes Lawnmower 5.0. And let your confidence shine bright. Embrace the luck of the Irish and join the 10 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped. Head over to manscaped.com. Use code MONTREAL for 20% off plus free shipping. That's 20% off and free shipping with code MONTREAL at manscaped.com. That's right. Cut your grass because grass is no longer in style. Landscapes Lawnmower 5.0. I love this thing. All right. Okay. I also love who's probably laughing by now knowing him. Stu Cowan of the Montreal Gazette and HockeyInsideOut.com. <laughs> <laughs> Whoever wrote that, <laughs> show your little leprechaun. <laughs> Stu, what, we, uh, we, what we wouldn't do for our partners, our sponsors, uh, a shutout, some support, uh, product, and maybe even a few bucks. Uh, what we wouldn't do, 
But whoever uh, the ad guy who wrote that uh, deserves a bonus. <laughs> That's funny, uh, so. He really did. And, and Stu, I, I hope that uh, you, you know you listen to those words carefully and uh, uh, you groom your leprechaun as best you can. And if you want to do so, do so with Manscaped's Lawnmower 5.0 Ultra. All right. Um, okay. So there's the laughs for uh, for this evening. Let's. I, I think the story. I think the big story right now surrounding the Canadians, and I mean, there's there's a couple. I mean, David Savard's obviously going to be one. We're one week away from NHL trade deadline. Uh, Arbor Jack, I thought, played a fantastic game last night. I thought David Savard played a really good game as well. And we're going to talk about that as well. But the story of the hour right now, the man of the hour right now, is Nick Suzuki. You know this as long as as much as I do, Stu, that when Mark Bergevin gave him that eight-year, $7.875 million per year contract, there were some who said, wow, Bergevin really thinks this guy's going to be a star. Some said, you know what, he's probably going to be right. A lot of people said this is way too much, too soon. And there's a bunch of people who said that's giving a lot of money for a guy who's not going to be a first-line centerman. I uh, talked about this last night with Pierre Maguire. I've been doing some homework on this for the last couple of days. Uh, not that it took that long, but I just I always seem to get interrupted when I start something. But um, take a look at some centers since 1995-96 with the Montreal Canadiens who had their most productive years. So I'm going to point out the most productive years they had. And uh, if Sammy and Yellow and um, and uh, Juliana and even Shane Gomo and Master Control can bring it up if they have it. And they do because these guys are the best. So look at this. 1995-96, Vinny Danfous had 96 points. Pierre Turgeon had 98. They were ranked 17th in the National Hockey League. Turgeon was in points. Danfous was 20th. Saku Koivu's career high for one season was 75 points. That was in 06-07. He was 37th overall in the league. Thomas Plekanets, who I, taking a look at this chart, I think we get a better appreciation for actually, you know, he was pretty good. His career high was a 70-point season, 29th overall in the league. David D'Arnais had a 60-point season in 2011-2012, 58th in the league. Alex Galchenyuk, with a little bit of an asterisk, even though I didn't put it, but I'm going to point it out here, because in 2015-2016, Alex Galchenyuk had 30 goals, 26 assists, 56 points. He was 60th in the league, but I gave, um, I gave Michelle Terry a call this morning. Uh, who uh, was at the driving range in Florida, by the way, when I called <laughs> Lucky guy. Yeah, Michelle, is, he's got a nice place down there, so he's really enjoying retirement, to say the least. Uh, I gave him a call, and I said, uh, Coach, what are you doing? He said, Tony, I'm at the driving range in Florida. I said, good for you. I said, uh, I have a quick question for you. And he said, go ahead, Tony. Go ahead, mon Tony. I said, Coach, when Alex Galchenyuk... In 2015-2016, playing for you, had 30 goals. I don't remember. Was he only playing wing? He said he played both, Tony, that year. He played both. He played center and he played wing. I said, merci, Michel. Bon golf. He said, okay, Tony. Anytime. <laughs> that, that was the conversation. So, Galchenyuk did it playing at center and playing at wing. Um, we all know how hard it is to put up points at center because... You have to play that 200-foot game. And sometimes, you know, if if you don't have the best team, you're going to be defending more than you're going to be attacking, which is actually Suzuki's case, if you think about it. I mean, this guy does an awful lot of 200-foot game and an awful lot of defending. Phil Deneau's best season was in 2018-2019. It was also the best season for Max Domi. Deneau had 53 points. He was 98th overall in the league. Domi had 72 points that year, and then it went all downhill from there. He was 49th in the league. Nick Suzuki thus far, after 60 games, 24 goals, 35 assists, 59 points. He's ranked 31 in the National Hockey League. But if you prorate what he's doing on an 82-game season and he keeps up this pace, he'll finish the season 33 goals, 48 assists, 81 points. Those 81 points are third only to Danfu's second, and Turgeon first. Now, Danfus was with the Canadians for, I don't know, give or take 105, 106 regular season games over three seasons. Uh, Turgeon, uh, pardon me, Turgeon was, and then he was gone. 
They traded him to St. Louis. Suzuki keeps getting better and better, Stu. Yeah. 41 points in 70-odd games in his rookie season. 41 points in 50-odd games in his second season. 61 points in his third season. 66 points in his fourth season. He already has 59 points with 22 games to go. And he's only 24 years old. Yeah. He ranks 13th right now in the NHL among centers and goals. And, you know, you mentioned Mark Bergevin earlier, and, you know, he's been criti- criticized for a lot of his moves and a lot of his drafts, and deservedly so. But the trade to get Suzuki, you got to remember, I mean, he painted himself into a corner there with Max Pacioretty, right? He had to get rid of Max Pacioretty and to end yeah. up with uh, not just Suzuki and Tatar and a draft pick, if I remember right. And the thing, you're, you're right. You know, the key in today's NHL, the salary cap, is you got to get your young players, got to lock them up early and then hope they develop the way you expect them or hope that they will. And Nick Suzuki is a perfect example of that. And he gets better. And the numbers he's producing are with Cole Caulfield not scoring the way you'd expect Cole Caulfield to score. And with Yuri Slavkovsky learning on the job in the NHL. So if or when Cole Caulfield starts scoring the way you'd expect them to, his shooting percentage is 8.4 this season. Last year it was 16.5. And as Slavkovsky continues to develop, Suzuki's going to be even better. I mean, the last the last Canadian's player to have 80 points in a season was Alex Kovalev back in 2007-08. That's a long time. But the things a long time. The things that impress me the most watching Suzuki from the press box aren't even his points. I talked with Marty St. Louis about this, or I asked him about it the other day. He doesn't waste any energy on his shifts. He, like he, he's he's so smart. He, that's why he can play so many minutes. He conserves energy. And as I asked Marty about it, and he said, you know, some guys just go out and work, 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 but they're working when you don't have to work. Like, you have to think when you're on the ice. And, and Suzuki is so smart. You watch If you watch him, especially if you're at a game, you're, it's harder to see on TV. He, he conserves his energy. He sort of floats around. He finds a spot, and then he knows when to make a burst. And most of the times when he makes that burst, it's defensive. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. On a back check, picking guys up. He's a defenseman's best friend behind the goal line. So many times you see a defenseman scrambling, sort of panicking with the puck, and here comes Nick Suzuki. Helps him out, picks up the puck, takes it out. His hockey IQ is so good. Uh, the Canadians made a really good decision when they named him captain when they did. Uh, he's a quiet leader. Uh, he leads by example. He hasn't missed a game in the NHL since he came into the league, which is remarkable on this Canadian it's team. amazing. There's times I think he has eyes in the back of his head. He's so inc- he's a- able to avoid the big hit. There's times you see him and you go, oh, he's going to get hit, and he – spins away or he sort of feels it coming so he's just turning into he's a, a 200 foot solid hockey player who's a leader on and off the ice and mark bergeron deserves credit for acquiring him in that trade and then locking out that yeah. he did preserving energy or not going all out uh, in terms of wasting useless energy that is i call it being economical and the way i look yeah. at it is uh, a lot of guys in the national hockey league fill their gas tank Nick Suzuki is a hybrid SUV. He's hybrid. So in the city, he's on electric mode and he's going. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, I'm glad you brought that you brought that up because when I was watching his game yesterday, if he knows he can't get to a puck, he's not going to waste all his energy trying to get it. He kind of glides. Yep. He sees the whole ice. He takes a picture of the whole ice. Yep. Right? When you say it's scanning, right? It's taking mm-hmm. information. When you said he rarely gets hit, you're right because he scans so much more times than the average player in the National Hockey League would do. And he takes different pictures on the ice. I think he's amazing. I thought he's been, you know, I I thought he was amazing from the second that I saw him play. I didn't know him all that much. Uh, Obviously, we knew what he was doing in junior hockey with with, uh, Owen Sound and with Guelph. It was pretty remarkable. Put up 100 points, mid-90s a couple of times. uh, in the playoffs, a uh, leading goal scorer, MVP of the playoffs. But if I can just make a, a slight correction to something you said, and it's not your fault, by the way, it's NHL.com's fault. He's actually not 13th in goals or points for centermen. He's 11. Let me show you this chart. 
to have guys at center that aren't uh correct so here you're going to see uh playing center and uh, have more goals than nick suzuki uh matthews mckinnon crosby point jt miller elias Pettersson, uh leon dreisettle joel erickson eck dylan larkin and brock nelson mm -hmm. playing center and have more points than suzuki McKinnon, McDavid, JT Miller, Matthews, Pedersen, Dreisaitl, Robert Thomas, Braden Point, Sidney Crosby, and Sebastian Aho. Suzuki is actually 11th in both, both categories. Now, two players that are up there in goals uh, are Verhage and uh, Sam Reinhardt of, uh, of the Florida Panthers. As you saw yesterday, they've been on a line with Barkov at center. So they're, they're actually three centers – Mm -hmm. who are playing two of them are playing on the wing okay yep. uh another player who's got who's up there in points i think is matthew barzal he's playing on the wing with bo horvat now by the way brock nelson is on this list for more goals than suzuki and he, he deserves to be there because nelson was put at left wing only last game by patrick Waugh. so he's played the entire season at center with the exception of one game okay so look at that you know, there are only 10 players, centers, who have scored more goals than Suzuki this thus far this season, and only 10 who have picked up more points. Like, you know, there's 32 teams in the National Hockey League. We're not talking about Suzuki being 32nd yeah. or 31st. He's 11th in both categories, Stu. Yeah. Well, who would have thought Suzuki would have five more goals than Cole Caulfield at this point? And that gets back to my point earlier, like, what? If or when Cole Caulfield starts scoring the way that shooting percentage has to go up at some point, Nick's going to have even more points. And personally, it's been really cool watching him, Tony, because I remember the first development camp. It was the year after they acquired him. You remember they acquired him the day of the golf tournament uh, in Laval. Yeah. And then the next season when he showed up for development camp, he was such a shy kid. He wasn't even in the Canadian's main locker room. He was draft dressing in the other room on the other side in Brossard. And he was so shy, like in front of the camera and, and nervous. And to watch him grow – both on and off the ice, the way he has, has been really cool to watch. I and mean, you were talking about him scanning. The goal he scored last night, they had a great replay on the TV. He was sort of scanning, he was coasting around center ice looking, and then he saw that the defense had left one side of the ice sort of open, and he casually sort of glided over there. Jack, I saw him, hit him with that long pass, goes in and scores. It's just the way he's, he's just, he's, he sees everything that's happening on the ice. His hockey IQ, as I mentioned, is off the charts. And the other place he's really improved is face-offs too, Tony. He struggled in face-offs like most young centermen. He's winning 53.6% of the face-offs this season. A lot of that has to do with Sean Monaghan, I'm sure, learning from him and getting tips from him. And, you know, Sean yeah. Monaghan's gone now from the Canadians, but he's going to have an impact on this team moving forward for a long time. Like the, the lessons he taught these young players on the ice, like face-offs with Suzuki, what he did for Slavkowski and how to slow the game down and speed the game up. Lessons these young guys have learned, they're, they're going to carry with them for the rest of their careers. And I'm sure at the end of Nick Suzuki's career, if you ask him, like, players who had the biggest impact on him, I would imagine Sean Monaghan would be one of them. Stu, we're going to talk about something right now that I don't think anyone has talked about. So I'm going to be, you know, it's a, I'm going to be pretty happy to talk about it here. Although it wouldn't make a huge difference on the Canadians, because Suzuki's not that type of person. He's not that type of player. He's not that type of teammate. A lot of teams, the salaries they give out to players cause dissension in the locker room. Mm -hmm. Suzuki's not one of those guys. Yeah. Having said that, though, even though good on Kent Hughes for when Cole Caulfield's agent asked for $9 million, yeah. Kent said, sorry, you're not making more than Nick Suzuki. <laughs> yeah, but you know Nick Suzuki signed this contract two years before, and now salaries are going up, and sorry, yeah, you're not making more than Nick Suzuki. Yeah, but Cole has got goal score and 26 goals in 46 games. And if you take it and you prorate it on a season, all of a sudden he's got 48 and he could be a 50 goal scorer. Sorry, you're not getting more than Nick Suzuki. Yep. And when it was all said and done, he got the same eight year term, but instead of getting 7.875 per season, he got 7.85 mm -hmm. per season. So setting the structure of the salary cap, setting the structure. And the Yol Armia's contract that Mark Bergeron gave him set a bad salary cap structure for the bottom six forwards, right? Guys are looking at what he's getting and saying, well, I deserve more than him. Um, but with Hughes, he's, he's honest with people. He's open with people. He, he, as you say, he drew a line. 
And it also says something that Cole Caulfield still wanted to sign in Montreal. He still wanted to be here, even though maybe if he had played out, he wouldn't have got more money somewhere else. Um, a lot of money on the table for a guy that age. Also a lot of money for a guy coming off a shoulder surgery, guaranteed money. Um, so it was a smart move by him to take it, but also a smart move by Kent Hughes. As you say, draw that line. Here's This is... Nobody's making more than Nick Suzuki right now. That will change moving forward, I think. Like if they're, you know, a year from now, two years from now, if they're in the free agent market and there's a star player out there, that'll happen. But you're right. Like nobody in the locker room is saying, oh, man, I can't believe Suzuki's making this much and that much. And the other thing with him is I mean, he's embraced everything that comes with being captain of the Montreal Canadiens, both on and off the ice and dealing with us in the media. I mean, he's there every day after practice. He answers every question. He's, he's available if you want to talk to him one-on-one after a scrum. Uh, he gets it, right? He, he lives in Montreal now. The last two summers, he spent year-round, spent the whole summer here, getting to know the city, uh, attending different functions around, being seen around town. Uh, he told me recently, he speaks with Yvonne Cornway quite a bit, who's around the Bell Centre a lot. Uh, what a great guy to talk to as to get some advice as captain of the Canadians. And Nick's smart enough to do that. He's smart enough to reach out and talk uh, with Yvonne Cornway. And I remember when Max... That, that conversation him. probably wouldn't have happened three years ago. No, it wouldn't have. Definitely not, because Mark Bergeron didn't want the alumni anywhere around the team, which is still shocking to think of that. But that that's changed. It's another smart decision that, that Kent Hughes made. And, you know, I remember talking with Chris Nyland, and he said when he was a young guy with the Canadians, it was so cool. Like, Dickie Moore would come in the room. Jean Valvo would come in the room. Ari Richard would come in the room. I said it was so cool, and it made you go, wow. And, like, I'm part of that team now. And I'll, I'll never – well, I think I do understand. I think Mark Bergeron was – you know, despite the big biceps and everything else, I think he was inse- very insecure. And I think he, there was ins- that insecurity led to him not wanting these Hall of Fame guys around the players because that's the only explanation I can think of. It just doesn't make sense. Yeah, I, I think he, he – I mean, they didn't want to look too much into the past either. Yeah, he wanted but, to keep everything in-house, right? And yeah. so all of a sudden if a player is telling something to uh, an alumni and – you know, if let, let's just say if they if they put in place certain procedures um, and they would tell the players, no, you got to do this, you got to do that. And then all of a sudden the alumni says, well, I don't agree with that. And, you know, I, I would do it another way. And then that's that's where the insecurity came in. Right. And that's it was where a, the insecurity. It was the in. same insecurity, Tony, with Bergevin and Michel Therrien, you were talking about earlier, that led to them hiring J.J. Daniel instead of Larry Robinson as an assistant coach. I think Michel Terrier was worried Larry would be breathing down his neck looking to be the head coach. And I've spoken with Larry about this before. He had no interest in being head coach of the Canes. He didn't want to have to deal with the media. He didn't have to all the stuff that comes, you know, twice a day in press conference, like what we see Marty St. Louis doing. He just wanted to come in, coach the defense, and go home. And uh, I think that insecurity with those two led to the decision to hire J.J. Daniel over Larry Robinson. And there's only one team in the NHL I can think of who would hire – this is no knock on J.J. Daniel – one team in the NHL would hire J.J. Daniel over Larry Robinson, and shockingly, that team was the Montreal Canadiens. Yeah, all right. So, um, once again, what what can we say that we haven't said already? Uh, you talked about the salary. We talked about the salary structure. Uh, um, Gouli and Suzuki, uh, pardon me, Gouli and Slavkowski uh, will be at the end of their entry-level contract next year. Mm-hmm. And so now the big question is whether it's bridge or long-term contract. It's a couple of years now. Bridge has gone out of style. It used yeah. to be in style. It's out of style. Now, when you have good players, if you de- if you um, you know determine that uh, certain players are part of your core, you want to lock them up for as long as possible and ensure yourself that you're locking them up at their best years. Gouli and Slavkowski, two other guys. I mean, I'd be I'd be shocked, but. They're not going to pass Cole. They're not going to pass Nick Suzuki seven point eight seven five per season either. At least I don't think. I mean, Slavkovsky no. has a chance if he comes out of the gates next year, like you know, like uh, like Secretariat. He's got a chance, but I, I wouldn't bet on it. Would you? No, I think the person or player who's going to pass Suzuki salary wise, I mentioned, is going to be if they're able to land a big free agent on the free agent market and. To get that guy, they're going to have to pay him nine million or whatever above Suzuki. I think that's the only way I really see it coming. But as you say, Gouli and Slavkowski, you lock those guys up for the same reason Mark Bergevin locked up Nick Suzuki that he saw in Suzuki that this guy is only going to keep getting better, right? And Caden Gouli is only going to keep getting better, and Yuri Slavkowski is only going to keep getting better. So those are the guys, and they're used to the Montreal market now, right? Playing here is different than playing anywhere else. Even even Toronto, it's different here. Um, these guys have already played here. They've been in the spotlight. One of the things that impressed me the most about Slavkovsky 
is how he's handled everything off the ice here in Montreal for a kid from a different country, different language. You know, we were talking with him the other day about, you know, the, the penalties he's been taking, the bad penalties. And he was like, he was like, he was not joking about it. Like he realized it's serious. He was mad at himself. And, uh, you know, somebody said to him, uh, uh, you know, he, he has a habit of, of bitching to the referees afterwards. And somebody said, you know, maybe you should uh, talk to him in Slovak. And he laughed. No, no, no I, I, I can't do that. The words I would say. But he sort of, he, he he's embraced the, the spotlight. It doesn't phase him. Like it doesn't bother him. He answers tough questions. He doesn't, he, 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 he laughs, he smiles, he jokes, he, he's, he handles. And that's one of the reasons Ken Hughes said that, that they drafted him because they thought he could handle everything here. And, you know, on the other hand, you look at a guy like Jonathan Drouin where the spotlight here just ate him up. So Gouley's used to playing here. Slavkovsky's used to playing here. They like playing here. Suzuki, the same thing. I mean, captain of the Canadians, there's no bigger spotlight. And no. Suzuki handles it all so well. I mean, I've seen him inter- interact with fans away from the rink, away from the cameras, young fans, old fans. He, he's fantastic at it. He's, he's absolutely kill. fantastic. I've seen him at that sports celebrity breakfast they have every year for the coming center. You and I have both been there. And the, and yeah. People swarming him, young kids, old people. And he's so polite, uh, takes time with people. Um, he's you know he was well raised. I you know I spoke with both his mother and father, really nice people. And as I said, he gets everything that comes with being captain of the Canadians. He handles himself the way the old yeah. Canadians players did. You know, yeah, the, you're right. The, the, the Lafleurs and Cornways and uh, the Bellavos, the Bellavos, the guys that you see, even the guys you see around the old timers room now. Um, Robinsons they have a class to them, right? And Nick Suzuki yeah. has that class. Uh, by the way, that performance yesterday, that one goal and two assists was done in front of mom. Uh, I don't know if dad was there, but I know that mom uh, put on Twitter, uh, yeah. I'm in the house yeah. before the game. So that's that's got to be like your son's one of the best players in the National Hockey League. And you see him pick up a goal and two assists against one of the best teams in the National Hockey League. And your son is captaining the Montreal Canadiens. Uh, the only thing that was missing last night would have been the goal in the shootout. The, everything else was there. It was, it was, it was all there. Um, She's a nice woman. I last year on the mother's trip, which was in uh, the game, Washington on New Year's Eve. And then in Nashville on January 3rd, I think it was. Yeah. And I had a chance to watch one period of the game in Washington in the loge with the mothers. We interviewed them during the intermission. Then I stuck around a bit and I was sitting talking with Caulfield's mom and, and Suzuki's mom and just two really nice, sweet women. Yeah. And see the way their kids act and handle things with Montreal. Apple doesn't fall far from the tree, right? Yeah, you know what? Uh, Arbor Jackeye's mom seems like oh, a, yeah. a pretty special lady as well. Yeah. She's also very, very active on Twitter. Look, I said at one point on this podcast when Arbor Jackeye was not in the lineup or when Arbor Jackeye was in the lineup and he was getting 10 minutes and he was the least used defenseman on the team, I said, you know, he's the least used defenseman on the team because right now Marty St. Louis finds him the least reliable and has the least trust in his game and or his discipline. And I'm going to bring it back up right now because I don't think I was wrong when I said it. I think Mm -hmm. I was right. Um, As a matter of fact, I'm convinced I was right. But Arbor Jack guy now has turned it around. There were a lot of people who thought, you know what, him going being sent down to Laval was not going to be a good thing. And when they called him back up, his first couple of games, he was nervous. He was not good. He picked up three penalties. Uh, then he had to, you know, he, he went in, he apologized on the Friday and said, I'm sorry, I took two stupid penalties. And he was a healthy scratch the following day on the Saturday. And, but listen, all of a sudden he's turned it around. In the last week, we've seen some great performances from him offensively and defensively. Then we saw at their own skills competition on Sunday, him blast that puck at over 107 miles per hour, uh, which makes it one of the hardest shots in the history of the National Hockey League ever clocked. And uh, and last night, his game was fantastic. He The message or the lessons they wanted him to learn by sending him to Laval, he got it. Like, you know, they they basically told him, you know, you got to be, you got to work harder than you're working now. You got to, I think, the, as I've written, though, the shine on the sheriff badge, I think, got a little too bright too quickly uh, for management. And um, I don't, I want to say it humbled him being sent to Laval, but it maybe it was a bit of a wake up call. Like, don't take anything for granted here. Uh, you know, undrafted player. We got a lot of young guys coming up. If you're not 100% committed to everything here on and off the ice and, and listening to what we're telling you to do, you're going to lose your spot. And he got that, and he, he's played so well. He's so rangy. 
the first few games back, you could tell he was nervous. Like he sort of was afraid to, to what he was going to do, what he wasn't going to do. And then Marty put him with David Savard, which was a brilliant move. I was talking with Arbor about this after practice the other day. And he told me, he says, anybody who plays with David Savard can look good. He says, you always know where he's going to be. He talks to you on the bench. He talks to you on the ice. Caden Gooley said the same thing when he broke into the NHL and played with David Savard. You know, I was talking about Sean Monaghan. When he leaves, the lessons players learn from him will continue on. The same thing with David Savard if he's traded this year or next year. But Jack, I said he's learned a lot just by watching Savard and how you were talking about Nick Suzuki being economical on the ice. David Savard is also. He knows his limitations. He knows he's not fast, but he thinks the game fast. And he has he's that ability to see what's going on around him. And Jack is learning that from playing with Savard and talking to him on the bench. And, and he said, you know, if I make a mistake, he's like, don't worry about it. We got the rest of the game. Let's keep doing what we're doing. And I think that was a really smart move by Marty to put him with David Savard. And we're seeing the results now is that Jack is gaining confidence. He's playing smarter. He's learning how to make decisions with and without the puck from David Savard. He's got a lot more mobility, a lot more range than David Savard. He's more physical. He's got a bigger shot. But the lessons he's learning from David Savard are really going to help him moving forward. And the lessons he learned by being sent down to Laval are also going to help him moving forward. I mean, I think Arbor Jack, if he's your number five or six defenseman, he's a pretty good guy to have in that spot. Pierre, Mag- uh, Pierre Maguire brought up some great points yesterday, talking about Jack Guy. Uh, we're talking about his game. Obviously, that stretch pass on the Suzuki goal was a fantastic heads-up pass. Um, you know, he finishes the night as a plus player. And Pierre says a couple of things that he saw. Number one, he went up against Matthew Kachuk all night long. Mm-hmm. Kachuk did nothing five-on-five. Yep. He had an assist on the power play. That was it on one of, uh, one of Reinhardt's goals. And he also talked about when Rodriguez tripped Montembeau. And Rodriguez gave what looked to be a headshot to Gallagher. Uh, Jack Guy, a couple of weeks ago, would have tore his head off. Yeah. The Canadians were in the game yesterday. It was a game. And they're trying to establish a culture. And they're trying to make a statement. And um, even though they're out of the playoffs, you can tell they wanted that game mm-hmm. last night. Montembeau wanted it versus former team. They all wanted it. And Jack and I, Jack, I recognized that. And Jack, I did not take any penalties yesterday to put his team in trouble. And, um, but he still had a physical presence. Yes. He still had a physical presence. He says he learned his lesson. He's learning. And he goes, don't make no mistake. He goes, he's got Rodriguez's number. Oh yeah. And he's got a long memory. Now the referee stepped in to save Rodriguez a bit too after he ran the goalie. But yeah, Jack, I mean, he'll catch them next time with a solid check. He's uh, again, Lessons learned, right, by going down to Laval. Um, you can't take those kind of penalties. Like he, he's There's that fine line between yeah. being physical, being tough, being hard to play against, and then stepping over that line and taking dumb penalties. And, and again, it's a, a really important lesson for him to, to learn, and he seems to have learned it. If you're watching on YouTube, we appreciate it. Uh, tell your friends about it. Subscribe to our channel. Like it. Share with your friends. Comment sick. S-I-C-K. S-I-C-K. If you can leave us a five-star review on Apple Reviews, it's very, very important to us. Uh, it's, you know, uh, you're acknowledging our work at that point, and that means a lot. All right, okay. Uh, David Savard. Let's read this piece from Pierre Lebrun in The Athletic. There's clearly a conversation happening within that Habs front office, though, about Savard's value, both in terms of staying put and what it would take to move him. It's a healthy debate. I think it would take a first-round pick, a young player with value equivalent to a first-round pick, or multiple picks with combined value equivalent to a first. So a high enough price because the Canadians aren't motivated to move Savard. We're one week uh, away from the deadline. He might get moved on the weekend. He might not get moved before the deadline. Uh, Things can change. Maybe a couple of defensemen go down between now and then, and all of a sudden, teams that probably weren't interested have to be. But if I ask you right now, tonight, one week before trade deadline, which is going to be next week, Friday, at 3 p.m., do you think David Savard is going to get traded? Yes or no, and why? No, because I think if the market was set with the TANAB trade, that's not enough for Kent Hughes to give up David Savard for the reasons I just mentioned before about him playing with Arbor Jackeye. Another year of David Savard playing with Arbor Jackeye or playing with Logan Mayu if he gets called up 
or getting playing with any of the other young defensemen. Uh, Lane Hudson. Now, if he gets called up uh, at the end of this season, it looks like he's probably going to sign after the NCAA season's over. What better guy yeah. to pair him with for his first taste of the NHL than David Savard, right? And so that's why I, I think no, because I don't think teams are going to offer enough for Kent Hughes to think it's worthwhile. And I think he'll think that keeping David Savard here for another year to mentor these young guys and then yeah. move him at the trade deadline next season when his value might be higher because it'll be the last year of his contract. It's a rental. Um, so that's why I, I don't think he'll be traded just because I don't think Kent Hughes is going to get offered enough for him to think it's worthwhile. Pierre Maguire had a great point last night. Another one. He had several great points as he always does. Mm -hmm. I really like what he had to say. He goes, when Hudson comes in at the end of the season, he would go with 11, seven, you know, Hudson doesn't have the body right now to go up against NHL players night in night out, use him as a power play specialist, give him a little bit, put him in a position to succeed. And, you know, one of the things he didn't say that I'll say right now is let's be honest out of the 12 forwards, there's one or two that you can easily take out of the lineup. Like every night, like there's, I mean, yes, yes, alone. And I mean, at one point I said, can they give this guy a little bit more? I'm sorry, man. He's let me down. I'm not going to ask for more ice time from yes. alone. And, and you all are And I know they're not going to do this with Josh Anderson. He's not going to be a healthy scratch, but for the love of God, I mean, some professional or personal pride. I mean, these guys, they show up every ice storm. And meanwhile, Mike Pozzetta is sitting in the press box, which I can't I scratch my head at. At least you know. Who gives you, you everything he has. You know you're going to get from Mike Pozzetta. You're going to get seven minutes of all-out hockey. Finish every check. I mean, he ranks in the top 10 in the NHL and hits despite limited minutes and being made a healthy scratch. He cares, right? He goes out there and 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 he cares. And like you mentioned Josh Anderson. I don't know what's going on with Josh Anderson. It's it's head scratching. It's, Jeez. It's like he's, terrible. You don't notice him out there. He's like he's – you know, we're talking about Nick Suzuki being able to process everything and see everything. Like Josh Anderson's just skating around. Like I, it's, I don't know what happened to him. Like it, whether that slump at the beginning of the season got in his head, but like he's lost out there. Stu, with the exception of one season in Columbus, he's always been inconsistent. Mm -hmm. And other than that, I'm going to tell you this: he's not a fit for Marty's system. No, he he doesn't. His hockey IQ isn't high enough to understand what Marty's trying to get the team to do. And I think that's one of the big problems that he's having. He says, you can't, you know, Marty talks about concepts, not systems. And I don't know if Josh Anderson can figure out these concepts. He's like up and down his wing as fast. Like with him, it's work, work, work. Well, when he's on his game, it's work, 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 work. It's not like Nick Suzuki work coast, figure out the game. It's sort of going all out, which is fine. If you're going up and down your wing and going to the net. But I, I think he's really struggling with, the type of game that Marty St. Louis wants his team to play. Gordon St. Louis and uh, and Hughes, they must be losing sleep over Josh Anderson, man. They yeah, must be and they must. Over. I mean, last season when people were saying they should trade him, I was one of the people saying no because I think he's. A, I said yes. Uh, yeah, I think I think he's such a valuable player, or, or has showed in the playoff run in 2021 when he's on his game, how what kind of impact he can have. But uh, yeah, I was wrong. You were right. I mean, they now they should have moved them last season. Like I can't imagine. Like you see the, the you know the, the, the list coming out of you know top. Uh, yeah, trade. He's not even there, right? Like nobody's nobody's interested. Stu, in uh, I've been wrong probably a heck of a lot more times than I've been right. And so, but so, but I, but I will say this: the reason last year that I, you know, I, and I think it was even the year before that I, I, there were spurts where he was playing pretty good hockey. I was like trade him because. It, it's not recent as inconsistency. Once again, he was consistent one season when he was in Columbus. I mean, at the end of the day, when your track record is you play a pretty good one in every five, every six, and then that happens for like 90% of the season. Then for 10% of the seasons, you have like a pretty good sequence. Maybe the last a couple of weeks here and there. If you If that trend continues all the time, four, five, out of six seasons, that's who you are. Yeah. That's when, he, when he ended that big slump at the beginning of the season, I think I said on this podcast, I still thought he'd get 20 goals this year. Just got to thought, okay, he's over the slump. But when he was in that slump, like you noticed him at the beginning of the season. Like he was getting the breakaways and missing, which is a regular part of his game. He's not even getting the breakaways now. He was finishing all his checks then. He's not finishing his checks now. Like – this slump is worse than the one to start the season because, as I said, you don't notice him on the ice half the time. Yeah. Like, yeah. you don't you, – oh, you know, second period, oh, yeah, he's out there. You know, you, you hadn't noticed him for the first half of the game. And that's 
as you say, Kent Hughes and Gorton, they must be like, like, what do you do? And the thing is they're stuck with, you know, this team offense from the forward position is so hard. You mentioned Olin, it's like 38 games without a goal. Uh, Jake Evans doesn't really bring offense. Yoel Armia doesn't bring offense, although he's played better. Anderson isn't bringing offense. Gallagher's not bringing offense. <coughs> Some of those guys you're stuck with. Yeah. So that, that's, to me, the biggest problem with this rebuild moving forward is how are you going to get offense from the forward positions when you got four or five guys that are going to be here that provide very little of it? You think Jake Allen's going to get traded? Because, I, you know, a lot of people are saying Jake in the summer, but um, – I, you would get the feeling that on the day of trade deadline, a team would like to have an insurance policy and in goal more so than they would like to have a goaltender in the offseason. Now, I get it. Yeah. And Allen's got one year left on his contract. So whichever team acquires him, they're still going to have him next year. But do you think he's going to be traded? It's a good question, Tony, because – it's all about asset management with Kent Hughes. He doesn't want to give Jake Allen away, or he didn't want to give no, Jake no. Allen away. The same way he doesn't want to give David Savard away. But I think it's reached the point you almost have to just give him away. Like, whatever is offered, or I think you just need to move on. Uh, Jake Allen, classy guy, great teammate. Again, another guy who's going to have an impact on this team moving forward, even when he's not here. And he told me recently, you know, he said, I want to, after I retire, I want to sit at home on TV and watch the Canadians win the Stanley Cup with this group that they have there now. Wow. Uh, he's been a great role model for Montembeau and Caden Primo. He hasn't bitched. He hasn't, like, he's, he's been a real veteran. That's one of the reasons the three-goalie system hasn't has worked better than probably you could expect because Jake Allen is such a classy teammate and person. He hasn't had a lot of help from his teammates. I haven't scored a lot of goals and he's been playing, but his save percentage isn't very good. His age, one more year on the contract. I think he just, I think Ken Hughes just needs it. The three goalie thing backfired on him a bit. He was hoping Jake Allen would play really well and he'd get something of value at the trade deadline. But as the trade deadline is coming up next week, I think at this point you just take what you can get for Jake Allen and you move on. You let Montembeau, he's your number one guy. He's playing at least two out of three games. Let Caden Primo play you know, the other games and set it up for next season because that's going to be the goalie situation next season. It's going to be Sam Montembeau as number one and Caden Primo as the backup. All right, okay. Um, the trip. The trip the Canadians are on. They're in Tampa Bay, of course, where they take on the Lightning tomorrow night. We saw images earlier today of Marty St. Louis signing autographs. He's a pretty popular guy in Tampa still. I think we have the, the, uh, the schedule for the month of March, do we? Here we go. In Tampa tomorrow in Nashville on uh, Tuesday, in Carolina on Thursday. Then they come home for three games at home versus Toronto, Columbus, and Boston. But what do you make of, without looking too far ahead here, what do you make of the next three games? Uh, it's going to be tough. I mean, Marty Slinger was asked about it the other day after Brossard, and he, uh, with the Masters coming up, he said this part of the schedule is like a man corner. This is sort of, uh, you know, you get near the end, and it's getting tough, and it's hard, and, you know, they're playing some tough teams. You know, some tough teams. Florida, they put up a good fight against Florida. Tampa is going to be tough. Carolina is going to be tough. Nashville's coming along, coming around. Um, so, yeah, it, it's, a, it's a difficult trip. It'd be – I wish I was on the road trip. It would be a great road trip to go Florida, Tampa, and then Nashville, my favorite road NHL city. Uh, but for the Canes, it's going to be tough. Like, they played almost like pretty much as well as they could against Florida, and they still lost, right? Um, so it's not going to get any easier the next three games. Uh, probably good for the team at this stage to get away from home for a while. You know, the season's long. They're out of their, they're out of the yeah. playoffs now. Uh, Nashville's a fun city. They got three days in Nashville. They'll be able to relax a little bit. Last year when they're in Nashville, uh, it was part of the mom's trip. Uh, so it'll be, you know, they need a little bit of fun too, right? And so I think you yeah. know, they leave Tampa, have a day off in Nashville, relax, recharge the batteries a little bit uh, for the final stretch run. But I thought that was uh, – a good comparison to Marty St. Louis said when he's like, a very good line. Yeah. And and for those who are wondering about Amen Corner at Augusta, uh and 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 the Masters, of course, it's hole number eleven, hole number twelve, and hole number thirteen. And it's been said that a lot of green jackets are lost on the twelfth hole, which appears to be the most difficult one uh at Augusta. All right, okay. Um we're gonna wrap it up tonight. Um a, more of an abbreviated show than usual. Uh, why? Because it's Friday and we all want to enjoy our Fridays and we all want to enjoy the weekend to get it started. But uh, last but not least, uh, I think we should bring we, sh we should say a word for Chris Chelios, who had his jersey retired last yeah. week. 
And uh, it, there wasn't much talk here in Montreal. I mean, we all saw the images. We all saw the highlights and, and some of us saw, saw the ceremony and stuff like that. But uh, uh, what's your, what's your uh, relationship with Chris Chelios? I mean, how long have you been covering the Canadians? I wasn't covering the I was working in the Gazette Sports Department when he was here, but I wasn't covering them. But yeah. I was also a young single guy, and I was downtown on Bishop and Crescent a lot, and I saw Chris Chelios a lot down there. Oh, uh, no, no, no. <laughs> stop, stop, stop. Family Not show. Family days. show. And, uh, yeah, so it was I see Chicago retire his number, and what a week for him because, like, two days later, his daughter gave birth to her third – his daughter who works for the Blackhawks in, in the media yes. uh, gave birth yeah. to her third child. So what a week for Chris Chelios. But the thing I found interesting is during his speech, uh, he talked about how it was the greatest day in his life when he got traded to Chicago. And I went back, and I'm working on my Stu Slapshots for the weekend, and I'm going to have this in there. I went back to read what Red Fisher wrote the day of the trade because I was working on the sports desk at the time. And I said, I remember, I don't think he was that happy when he got traded. I went back and I found the story on our database. He was, de- he was he devastated. Devastated. And so his yeah. wife was devastated also. The, he he yeah. was like, he says now, you know, time heals all wounds, as they say. He says now was the greatest day yeah. of his life. At that time, it was not. He did not want to leave Montreal. He got a little bit blindsided in a way. He said it was like a one-minute phone conversation uh, with Sir Savard. And Red, the late great Red Fisher, he nailed it reading his column. He's, he basically said the trade was a mistake. He said, uh, yeah. no knock on Danny Savard, but he said at the time, Chris Chelos was the only leader the Canadians had in the locker room. And the way he played, he called him as a mean SOB. Nobody wants to play against them. The yeah. Canadians did win a Stanley Cup after that trade with Danny Savard, who was actually more of an assistant coach than he was hurt during the playoff run. But look at what Chris Chelios did moving forward. So once again, it was, it was one of it was one of several trades that Serge Savard made. How yeah. am I going to say this? To trade away guys who appreciated Montreal and everything yeah. it had to offer. Yep. Right. And that, that was the day. That was the day before cell phone cameras too. As I said, yeah. I remember I used to see Chelios and those guys downtown all the time. Yeah. And it wasn't nobody was like, oh my god, it was like. It was cool. It was fun. There's Chris Chelios and there's Corson. They they loved Montreal the way today's yeah. players can't because everybody's got a phone in their pocket, right? Um, Lyle Odeline was no stranger either. Oh. But but if you talk to Savard still today, uh, and if you ever want to do a piece on it and you give Serge a call, he'll tell you on the record. I don't know what he'll tell you off the record, but on the record, he'll tell you that um, Chelios had suffered a knee injury yeah. and that Savard thought that he was done. Yeah. After that. And not only was he not done, mm-hmm. I mean, the guy went to play in like another 20 years in the National Hockey League. It's insane. Like what he, he looks like, like he's still playing now. Uh, he, looks, he looks absolutely fantastic. He really, really looks good. Anyway, the Athletic, uh, did, the athletic did a good story on him. And you know, I was talking about you know, how I used to see him downtown all the time. And his daughter, who just gave birth to the kid, said he still likes going out and having a good time. <laughs> Did you think he would have slowed down by now? This is his daughter. So he still likes going out with the boys and having a few beers and having a lot of fun. So that's the key to looking young. Now I understand <laughs> why I look so old. I never go anywhere. I stay home. That's That, that might oh, be man. it. He, he looks like he could still play. Mark Messier looks like he could still play, too. Yeah. If Samuel Montembeau wanted to win that one versus his former team last night, I would imagine that Marty St. Louis would like to win the one tomorrow night versus his former team, Tampa Bay Lightning. But, you know, this Canadians team, they're, they're tough to figure out, man. I'm telling you, like, I, I had a feeling that they were going to beat Arizona. Uh, Arizona's not the Soviet Union. They were, like, just, you know, they were there one point behind the Canadians in the standings at the time they played them. Uh, but there's not too many people that gave them a chance in Florida. But when when you're not going to make the playoffs and the pressure's off and you're loose, I mean, two things can happen. You can either get blown out of the water because your care level probably is not as much, or the fact that you're loose, you actually don't feel the pressure as much and you end up performing better. And I think we saw that from the Canadians. The Canadians played really well yesterday versus Florida. They could have easily lost. Like Florida turned it on in the second period, and the Canadians at one point couldn't match or keep up. But they just they hung in there, and they just kept on plugging away, and they were there, and I thought Montembeau played great, but... Mm-hmm. Uh, safe to say tomorrow night's going to be a, a, a huge challenge for Caden Primo. Oh, yeah. I mean, Montembeau showed again last night why he can be a number one goalie or is a number one goalie now in the NHL. You give your team a chance to win, right? That's exactly yeah. what He's not Carey Price. He's not going to steal games like Carey Price who saw steal games. Give your team a chance to win, and that's exactly what he did. And you saw how upset he was last night after the – Yeah. That's the most upset I've ever seen Sam Montembeau. I mean, it meant something, obviously, playing against the team that put him on waivers – um, yeah, he was upset probably with the shorthanded goal he gave up. Heck of a shot, but he sort of gave away that top corner. Um, it also speaks to 
how this team hasn't given up on Marty St. Louis. They still want to play hard for him. You know, it's easy to just pack it in and, and move on. So I expect, no, they didn't have a great effort against Arizona. They still won. Um, I, I think they're going to have a really good effort against Tampa. And for Caden Primo, I wrote a column on him earlier this week, and a lot of pressure on him every time he does get in the net, right? This is going to be, I think, his 14th game. And yeah. I, I asked him, I said, you know, has this been a wasted season for you development-wise? And he said, no. He says, I'm happy I'm still here rather than in Laval. He says, mentally, he's been able to work on his game. And reading play, he said, when I, when I was young in university, my strength was my ability to read the play and anticipate plays. And he says, I, I've gotten better at that this year. He said, I've really improved on that. So he, he doesn't think it was a wasted development year. His, his save percentage is much better than it had been in his previous stints in Montreal. A really tough situation for him to be in, which goes back to what we were saying earlier. I think it's time to just move on from Jake Allen and give Caden Primo some more starts the rest of the way in these games that are left to set him up for next season. But yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be tough for him to warn it against that Tampa team, especially yeah. power play and, and the skilled players that they have. Special thanks to our partners and sponsors. Energy transportation group is one. La Bit at TB is another playground is another accent insurance solutions is another. And also this show brought to you in part by, Manscapes lawnmower 5.0 and Stu Cowan from one friend to another, from one buddy to another who cares a lot about you. Um, take care of your leprechaun as best you can, okay, my friend. I will, Tony. Have a good weekend. And, and if you do, you're gonna have a great weekend. All right, take care. Have a good one. There you have it. It's Friday night. Have a good one. Uh, for Agnello, Sammy, Juliana, Master Control, and Shane Gomol. One is Gomol, the other is our Cavallaro, and I and Marinaro. Have a great weekend. And that's a wrap. Hope you don't miss us too much until next time. Follow the Sick Podcast with Tony Marinaro on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts. The Sick Podcast is brought to you by Energy Transportation Group. Driven to be different. TV. Embrace your true nature. And Playground. Your premier gaming destination.